Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Week two of our series of talks that we're calling This Is How We Do It. 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 I was hoping for a clean, like, you know, but can we try it again? This. No, it's not working. Okay, well, let's move on. Thank you, Montel Jordan, for that theme music for our series. We appreciate it. But this is how we do it. What we're doing is over these next couple of weeks, we are looking at not just the vision that God has given us as a church to love God, love life, and live free. Our heart is that we wouldn't just be able to articulate that thing, but also that we would know what it feels like, what it looks like to live loving God, loving life, and living free. We're really wanting to dive into what do these things mean? Not just can we say them, but what what does it mean for our lives to live them? This vision that God's given us is something that that is not just to be articulated on a Sunday, but it literally is supposed to shape how we live on Monday. The vision that God has given our church is to propel each and every one of us individually forward as we link arms together corporately and see massive transformation happen, not just in this city, but we're believing for the nations of the earth to be impacted by what's being started here in Austin. But, but it's going to come not just by each one of us being able to say the vision of loving God, loving life, and living free. It's going to come when we fully understand what it means to live that vision. And last week, if you were here, we opened up with a a sermon that was called God Chasers. How many of you were blessed by that message, God Chasers? If you didn't hear it, I want to encourage you, you can check it out on YouTube. Or you can go to our podcast. And why this is important is because we want not just, we know you can't make it every Sunday, but these messages are foundational for us. This this understanding that you're here because you're a God chaser and what that means for your heart and for our hearts collectively and corporately is massively important as we're learning how to live this vision of being those who love God, love life, and live free. And this morning we want to take another step in that journey of of trying to understand, God, what do you want for us to live for in this vision? And I just want to jump right into our passage of Scripture this morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit of Scripture here, uh, but if you can just hang with me, I think it's going to be good in the end. Are you there? All right, Chris is ready. Here we go. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters... Who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got this. 
Verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Now, these next sentences are really, really big, so zero in with me. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If, everybody say if. If, indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. Verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this might not make any sense to you, so let me help you understand what the writer of Hebrews is referencing right here is when Moses was sent by God to deliver a message to Pharaoh, who had the people of Israel, God's chosen people, held in slavery. They were in bondage, and God sent Moses to declare to them, to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, what did he declare to them? Let my... Somebody went to Sunday school. And what ended up happening is that Pharaoh did let God's people go. But God's people developed a bad habit as they were on their way to the promised land. What they did was that they seemed to always forget yesterday's provision in light of today's dysfunction. And so yesterday's provision was lost when they were looking at the dysfunction of the day that they were in. They couldn't remember what God had done. So they constantly were looking for help when the helper was right there. God fed them when they were hungry. He provided for them. He led them. He spoke to them. He heated them in the cold of night. He clouded them in the heat of the day. He took them exactly where he wanted them to go, but they forgot how God provided for them yesterday in light of today's dysfunction, and they allowed the challenges of their circumstances to pull their hearts away from being God chasers and to drift with complaining and stress, and what that did to their hearts is that their hearts went from being soft to being Hard, their hearts were hard towards God. Verse 10, that is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, everybody say but. Everybody say but. Encourage one another daily. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed, say if, if indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the end. It's a lot of scripture, a lot going on, and so I want us to build a sandwich this morning. The top of that sandwich is going to be verse 1, fix your eyes on 
Jesus. The bottom of that sandwich is going to be verse 13. Encourage one another daily so that, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to prepare yourself to give them a power high five and tell them what is my sermon title this morning, I See You, Dog. I see you, dog. Hey, here's the deal. Now turn to the person that you ignored, the person you neglected. Now I want you to look at them. I want you to give them a power high five, and I want you to say, I see you too, dog. If you're unfamiliar with that phrase, maybe you didn't grow up playing sports, or maybe you're a girl. Uh, because this is it's not an insult. I'm just saying I have not heard girls go up to people and be like, I see you, dog. I'm, I'm just saying that's not, I have not yet, maybe. I'm open to it. I'm just saying that that is kind of the go-to encouragement of dudes everywhere, right? I mean, I, I know, ladies, you're probably shaking your heads going like, is that the best you can do, right, is I see you, dog? And yes, it is. And, and gentlemen, am I right? Am I right that you don't really need much more than that? They're like, if someone comes up to you after you crush something and they're like, I see you, dog, you're like, that's right. <laughs> right? It doesn't, it doesn't take a lot for us to hear a lot as dudes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I see you, dog. Like, that's just an encouragement. It's like, you know, you hear that and you're like, I'm winning in life. I mean, every area of my life, I'm winning because someone came up to me and said, I see you, dog. You know, I uh, played trumpet growing up. I wasn't bad at it either. Just going to be honest with you. I was pretty good. I, I was so good that my sophomore year, I ended up actually being first chair in the band. And I was proud of that. My mom was proud of that. My dad was proud of that. My band director, unimpressed by that. And my sophomore year... We went to this competition. It's a UIL competition. And what happens is you spend like most of the year working on like three pieces of music and you go and you perform them. And then there's a second part of the competition where you go into another room and there's just music stands lined up and you sit down and on the music stand is a piece of music you've never seen before. And you have five minutes to try to look at it and figure it out and figure out what key it's in and how things are supposed to go. And then... The band just performs it, and it's called sight reading. And you get graded on how well you can perform that song you just saw. And I failed miserably at sight reading my sophomore year as the first chair. I was horrible, actually. I was so horrible at it that I was probably the main reason why we did not get the highest score that year that you can get. Everyone crushed it around me but me. I fell flat on my face, and my band director wanted to help me. Have you ever had somebody who wanted to help you? Right? I mean, he, he wanted to help me, and the truth is I needed his help because he was right. He saw more in me than I saw in myself. That was true. My insecurity was capping my potential. That was right. And in his help, oftentimes it hurt. Have you ever been hurt by help? 
And one day in particular, like, he was so committed to me becoming better at sight reading that every, I mean, it, it wasn't every day. I'm, I'm sorry, it was an exaggeration. Every other day, there would be a sheet of music on our music stand that no one had ever seen before, and we would just do sight reading all the time. I mean, all the time we were doing sight reading, all the time, every single week, man. We were trying to play a song we had never seen before. And it was as if everybody else could be playing everything wrong, but all he heard was what I was doing wrong. And, and right or wrong, indifferent, his focused help on me that hurt was not breeding confidence, it was breeding insecurity. And so the more he attacked me, the more I was melting on the inside. Now, I had a ton of that kind of high school macho bravado stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was like, a man, bring it, dog. You know, that's what I was saying on the front. Like, bring it. But inside, I was like self-destructing. There was one day in particular where we're doing this deal. I screw up. He stops the band. And he's like, J.D., play it by yourself. And I'm like, oh, man. And, of course, I just implode, right? And he's like, you have to be able to do this. We're all counting on you. Now, I'm a cocky 17-year-old homie at this point, okay? So I look right back at him. This really happened. I look right back at him, and I'm like, you couldn't do it either. The whole room gasped. Shoot, I couldn't believe I said it. Now, here's the deal. As soon as I said it, he like looks at me with like a death stare and then just leaves the room. Leaves like a hundred of us in the room by ourselves. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is it. You know, like I'm already trying to figure out my speech I'm going to give to my dad because I know I'm not going to be able to sit down for like a month because I'm about to get kicked out of school. And so he comes back in. Now you got to understand my band director was probably like four foot two. And he had this little walk. It's like we, you know, it's like a purpose walk. He was just like with his little legs. And so he comes with just walking with that purpose walk with those little legs, you know. And he had a mouthpiece in his hand because the trumpet's like two parts. It's like the trumpet part and the mouthpiece part. He had the mouthpiece in his hand. He walks right up to me. He says, give me your trumpet. So I take my mouthpiece off. I give him my trumpet. I think I'm good, man. This old man cannot play this. When's the last time he's played trumpet? He nails it. Just, I mean, just nails it. Okay? Now, you, you guys are going to think I'm making this up for jokes. Legitimately, this is what he did. After he nailed it, I couldn't do. He sticks his middle finger in my face. I'm for real. Puts my trumpet on his middle finger and hands it back to me. I'm for real, man. That is exactly what happened. I, I learned two important lessons that day. First lesson, first lesson is never challenge a professional. Never challenge a professional. Second lesson I learned was this. I didn't need someone to tell me what I couldn't do. I already knew that. I need someone to show me what I could do. I didn't need someone to tell me what I couldn't do. I was aware of what I couldn't do. I needed someone to show me what I could do. I want you to write this down because I know you're all note takers. There is courage 
connected to your encouragement. There is courage connected to your encouragement. Again, encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3 says, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The so that in that passage kind of messes with me a little bit. Encourage one another daily so that. Honestly, I don't really see encouragement as a weapon, do you? I see encouragement as like the nice things you say at somebody at a retirement party, at a rehearsal dinner, right? Maybe at someone's birthday, you've heard someone say like, hey, let's, let's all get around so-and-so and let's encourage them, right? And, and we say nice things about them. But the so that in this passage is telling us that encouragement is actually way more than just the nice things we say at a rehearsal dinner. The encouragement actually holds within it courage and strength for us to make it. Encourage one another daily so that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encouragement and encouraging one another is a part of how we make it to the end. Like we, we cannot finish the race that God has called us to. We cannot finish the things that we have in front of us without encouragement. You, you need encouragement. Hebrews 3.14 says to share in Christ. Encourage one another as long as it's called today so you won't fall into sin's deceitfulness so that you may share in Christ, I mean, what are you sharing in? You're sharing in his victory. You're sharing in all that he's done and all that he's going to do. If, there's that little word again, if we hold our original convictions firmly to the very end. Wrapped up in the middle of that holding on firmly to the end is how encouragement keeps us in the fight. Encouragement keeps us from drifting. You know, last week, if you were here, you remember I said, if, 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 Excuse me. Nobody wants their life to just go into reverse. But shifting into neutral feels harmless until you're rolling backwards. I mean, this is kind of like finishing well, holding firmly to the end. Encouragement is right in the middle of us holding firmly to the end. Look, here's the thing. You did not go to sleep last night madly in love with your spouse. Feeling like you're connecting emotionally, sexually, on every level, thriving. And then you wake up in the next morning and then all of a sudden you feel like you're just coexisting roommates. That's not how it happens. You drift there. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the little drifts. It's those little drifts that lead us into traps with devastating consequences. I mean, think about it like this. If you're just saying, you know what, it's just this time. It'll be harmless this time. I'm just going to do it one time. I'm just going to surrender to this temptation this time. No one's going to get hurt this time. It doesn't matter this time, and then this time turns into next time, and the next time turns into all the time, and then all of a sudden your addiction. Right, you don't just wake up in a ditch. Right, you drift there. 
It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to look at porn once. Uh, no, it's not, no, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's, it's not going to mess with anything. It, it's, it's a harmless indulgence. And then all of a sudden, you're so deeply trapped in a perverted thirst that it's destroying your relationships, it's destroying your marriage, it's destroying your ability to connect with people because that's exactly what the deceit of sin does. Don't, don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another daily so that you won't be hard and fall into the deceitfulness of sin. That's what the deceit of sin is. The deceit of sin is that harmless indulgences lead to devastating consequences. That's what the deceit of sin is. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to take this pill. I don't have a prescription for it, but it's going to take the edge off. I'm going to feel better. I'm I'm just going to harmless indulgence. And then all of a sudden, devastating consequences. You're addicted. And and your addiction is blowing up your finances. It's, It's creating pressure in your workplace. Harmless indulgences. That deceit of sin, that drift of sin leads to devastating consequences. Because we're in a war. You understand this? We are in a war. Paul articulates, the author of most of the New Testament articulates this battle in Romans 7, verse 22. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. And what he's saying is, he's like, in my heart, I want to serve God with everything. I delight in it. I love it. I I love what God is doing in me. I love what God is speaking to me. And he says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. Isn't that what sin feels like? It feels like a prison cell. Those harmless indulgences that lead to devastating consequences When you're in that devastating consequence, when you're in that ditch, it feels like prison. Like, I don't even know how to get out of this. I don't even know how to make my way back through this. That's what the devastating consequences of sin does. It it makes you deceived. You can't see anymore. You're you're in a prison cell, cell. And Jesus comes. And, and that's why Jesus comes. Can I say that? It's because we're in a prison cell is why Jesus came. Jesus came to set the captives free. He, he came to release the prisoner. He, he came to give you a new start. He, he came to give you a new hope. He, he came to give you a new life. A new life. I, I mean, to be Born again for all that was to go away and for all that is to be your reality. Jesus came to deliver us from the prison cell and he is enough. Jesus is enough, man. He, he, he paid the final price. Our debt has been paid. We can ask for forgiveness and we are received back. And we can enter into the throne room of grace with confidence and hope and life. Because he is enough. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, so don't wander back into the prison cell. Don't wander back. Leave it empty. 
It, it, it was killing you. It was destroying your life. Devastating consequences. Don't drift back into what was killing you. Don't drift back into the deceit of sin. Don't indulge in these things that seem in the moment to be harmless that will lead to devastating consequences. Leave the prison cell empty. That's not who you are anymore. Jesus has freed you from the bondage of sin so that you might live free, so that you might experience freedom. And we fight that fight. We fight that, that temptation. We stand in opposition to the drift, to the deceit of sin by fixing our eyes on Jesus and encouraging one another daily. Now, here's the thing. Verse 1 seems obvious, right? Of course. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Duh. Right? I mean, if you, you're going to become what you behold. We, we got to look at Jesus. We need to look at what Jesus has done for us. We, we need to acknowledge his kingship. We need to acknowledge his lordship. And here's the thing. I got to be honest with you. I don't always do that. Can I just keep it 100 with you? I don't always fix my thoughts on Jesus. I sometimes obsess about things that don't matter. I, I sometimes lose sight of what matters in total obsession about things that don't. I get so distracted by stuff that doesn't mean anything that I find myself in knots in that prison cell of, of anxiety and, and pain and isolation because I just took my eyes off of Jesus. I didn't fix my thoughts on Jesus. I wonder how much freer we would live if we just started thinking about Jesus. I wonder how much hope we would carry if we didn't care about what Susie thought about us at work. If we were pleasing Bob, come on, Bob, right? There's something about saying Bob. If your name's Bob, I want to meet you. But, like, the, the thing is, is, like, there's something that draws us to this obsession to think about what other people think when we have a simple job to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And we obsess about things that don't matter when Jesus is saying, just look at me. Fix your thoughts on me. Stay out of the prison cell. Don't drift back into what you were. Those things do not hold you, own you. They do not dictate you anymore. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fixing your thoughts on Jesus makes sense. That feels like a weapon. That feels like something that's going to strengthen me in a fight. Verse 13 doesn't feel like a weapon to me. Encourage one another daily. That doesn't feel like a weapon at all. And that's not how I see encouragement. I mean, encourage one another daily so that you won't fall into sin's deceitfulness, that your heart will stay soft. So, so what you're telling me, writer of Hebrews, what you're telling me is that my encouragement actually holds power to not just keep me soft, but to keep you soft. That when I encourage someone, when I speak life, when I declare truth, when I call out who somebody really is and not what they feel like, then it not only does something in them, it does something in me. Encourage one another daily so that, guess what, that so that includes both of us. So that we will not fall into sin. Encouragement is a weapon. It's not just nice things that we say. It's not flattery. Do you know the difference in encouragement and flattery? Flattery is I say nice things to you to get something from you. Do you know what encouragement means? Encourage means to give someone courage or confidence to do something. 
Come on. So flattery is like I'm trying to get something from you. Encouragement is a totally different thing. Encouragement is I'm giving you something. And I'm giving you something that you need. I'm giving you something that's going to keep your heart soft. And as I give it to you, my heart's going to be soft. And we can make it. We can finish. We can finish well. We can hold firm. We can share in Christ when we encourage one another daily. When we give courage and confidence to people. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes it's just like, I see you, dog. It's just a little thing, right? It's just a little thing. But we don't do gossip here. You want to know this is how we do it? We don't do gossip. And we definitely don't do good gossip. What that means is you see something, say something. You're encouraged by somebody, tell them. You're thankful for somebody, let them know. Because you're giving them something. You're giving them courage. You're giving them confidence to make it, to finish, to hold firm. Man, I just got, I really need $512. I really need $512. I really need $512. I really, thank you. I really need five, this is really $512. Isn't that funny? Micah had no idea why I gave him my wallet during worship. I just said, hey, dog. I see you, dog. I just said, hey, can you hold this for me? I got to go up there and preach. Can you hold this for me? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole time he was holding it, he had exactly what I needed. The whole time. He had exactly what I needed. Look, you can't give what you don't have. You hear me? That's why no one ran up here. The only person that got up when I said I need $512 was Micah. Nobody else, because you can't give what you don't have. You, You cannot give what you don't have. But listen to me. When I gave him my wallet, it did not feel significant to him. He thought he was just helping me out. He, he, he thought he was just doing me a favor, right? He didn't know that he was holding something of great value. He didn't know that he was holding literally exactly what I needed. He, he didn't know that. He had in his hands what I needed, and he didn't know it until he looked for it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You hold what someone else needs. You just got to look for it. Don't ever underestimate how powerful and how necessary your word of encouragement is. It might be simple to someone. It might not be complex. It might not be this big, profound thing. But it might just be some, for some reason, you just have this sense that you need to go tell them and say, hey, you know what, I'm just, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. I'm like really, really proud of you. I, I, I just want you to know that. You have no idea what God is going to do to that. You have no idea how God is going to weaponize your encouragement to give them fuel for the fight that they're in. Encourage one another daily so that we can resist sin, so that we can stay out of that prison cell. But you can't give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. You know when Jesus died on the cross? One of my favorite things that happens in Scripture is at Jesus' cross that he 
died for our sins, his last breath, he made a declaration. That declaration was, it is finished. That actually, in Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, is one phrase. It's the exact same phrase that was stamped on bank documents when they were paid in full. So when Jesus declared, it is finished, he declared over us, you don't have to live in debt anymore. You're no longer walking around with nothing to give because the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. So now that your debt's been paid, the forgiveness that's been given to you freely has been received. Now you have hope to give hope. You have encouragement to give people. You have stuff that is inside of you that is literally going to fuel other people's fights. It's going to keep you soft. It's going to keep them soft because we're fanatical fans of others. That's who we are as the people of God. We're fanatical fans of others. People should rejoice when we show up because they're like, look, this guy is going to call out who I am. He's not going to tell me what I can't do. He's going to see what I can do. I'm saying you have what is needed in your workplace to change the atmosphere you have what is needed on your campus right now to change the atmosphere it's in your hands it's in your hands it's been given to you now you just have to look down and see it and say oh yeah I have exactly what you need I have exactly what you need and all it is is saying I see you dog I see you no, no gossip, no good gossip, no things that are just going to pass over us. No, we're going to see something and say something. We're going to give courage to people. We're going to give confidence to people because we're going to encourage them. And as we encourage them, it's going to strengthen them. And they're going to find themselves, man, go, you don't know that your encouragement might be the word of encouragement that keeps them going. I mean, there's some things that some people have said to me that on a dark day, I still can hear them say that to me. I can still hear it. You know what's so crazy is most of you guys know my story. I grew up and I, I was not very good at school. I have a learning disability. And so I had this inner monologue that I was stupid. I just felt it. Like, you know, like I couldn't read well. I just, I didn't excel at school. And so you just felt dumb. And so I believe that about myself. I believe like, I'm, you're just a dumb guy, dude. You're just dumb. And I remember in college, I was in a worship time. And this guy comes up to me. And you can see how, like, nervous he is. And he's like, dude, I don't even know how to say this. He's like, but God told me to tell you, you're not stupid. I break down weeping, still. It felt insignificant to him. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. It's like God just gave him a wallet. He said, dude, just hold this for me. And then during worship, he was like, look in that wallet. And he realized there's something in here that somebody else needs. And that single phrase healed me. That guy didn't heal me. Jesus healed me. But he used that encouragement to bring healing and restoration to pull me out of a prison cell and say, I'm not going back there. That's not who I am. That's not my identity. Do not underestimate what your word of encouragement is going to do in somebody's life. We speak life. Can I just declare that over you? We speak life. We speak life.
life, there is enough people speaking death. We speak life. There is enough people sowing hopelessness. We speak life. There is enough people telling us what we can't do. We speak life. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's how we live this vision, is that we walk around as people who speak life. And, and now that I realize that I have $512, now I can, I can give it away. Because it's, it's better to give than to receive. Right? It, it's better to give than to receive. So I can be like, hey, you know who needs $512? Annie Grismer needs $512. Come up here, Annie. Annie Grismer needs $512. I have something that she needs. And so now I can just be like, hey, Annie, I got 512 bucks. Now you have 512 bucks. Be no, it's yours. This is not an illustration. That's a gift. When you realize what you have, it's easy to give it away. God wants us to wake up to the fact that we're carrying around truth that's going to set people free. We're carrying around hope that's going to set people free. We're carrying around life that's going to set people free. We're going to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that. Can you say that with me? So that. So that we will not be hard and fall into the deceit of sin but that we will be soft and we will hold firm. We will hold firm and we will share in the victory of Jesus and we will see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Can you stand to your feet?